Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? I uh, hope it's a, a jazzy and wonderful night out there in Baltimore Orioles land. It it probably isn't, as it hasn't been so many times of late, uh, because you're probably reeling from Henry Urudia's weak dribbler back into the hands of the decrepit Mariano Rivera. <laughs> Recording the save for the Orioles' loss in Game 2 of the Yankees series, but we're still alive, Alan. Technically. Technically. Uh, although I think I have lost some years off of my proverbial life. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing proverbial about your life. Let's let's get one thing very clear here. It can be very easy to interpret the highs and lows of the Orioles as having actual bearing on your life, but it's your life that's real and sports that are fake. Good, good. I mean, not fake, um, but you know what I mean. Don't tell that to the other Sister Wife podcasts of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. <laughs> With whom we are proud to be aligned in that hallowed organization. And proud to be uh, slightly too obsessed over the ups and downs of this uh, this delightful Orioles season. Yeah, I guess we should say our, our non-proverbial life is the proverbial life of Orioles baseball. Wow. And while you're figuring out what I meant by that. <laughs> we also, uh, coming up later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> we have two Charlies on the show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. A double Charlie action. It's a two-chaz. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, on, the, on the show tonight, uh, we have a, a returning guest, uh, which is two unique. Returning guests, uh, two returning guests. Two returning guests, which is pretty neat because most of the time guests don't want to come back on. <laughs> but uh, Charlie Wilmoth, uh, who writes a blog, Bucks Dugout, and also is a contributor to Major League Baseball Trade Rumors, uh, joins us to talk about the fact that the Pirates have recently joined the Orioles uh, in becoming an organization to end a very, very absurdly long streak of non-winning seasons. So we're going to talk to him about that experience. Um, we're going to talk to Charlie about, well, maybe we'll just... Uh, leave that one as a cliffhanger. Leave that one as a cliffhanger. Speaking of cliffhangers... Sam, what uh, what song was that that was just playing there in the background? Uh, oh, it's, it's just something I've had stuck in my head all day. Yeah. yeah it's a nice song. Yeah. So uh, we, do, uh, we do want to get our kicks here on episode 66 of the Baltimore Ons. But as, as everyone out there in, in, in Moron's Nation knows, 66 is a sports number. The Green Bay Packers of the National Football League retired jersey number 66 for linebacker Ray Nitsky. Jersey number 66 was retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins in honor of Mario Lemieux. Yasiel Puig has burst onto the scene of the Dodgers this year supporting the double sixes. And in uh, the fourth major American sport, 66 is the number of hot dogs eaten by world record holder Joey Chestnut in 15 minutes at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest in 2007 to unseat Tukaru Tsunami Kobayashi for his first hot dog eating championship. Have I ever told you how impressed I am <clears throat> with your ability to pronounce uh, Asian names? <laughs> I mean, I, this is like five times now that this has come up and just... Aced it every time. Well, we don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. That's true. I don't. Other impressive eating records held by Joey include, but are not limited to, 
13.75 pounds of pork ribs in 12 minutes. Good lord. 4.5 pounds of steak plus sides in 8 minutes and 52 seconds. I think I could do that. And, of course, 78 matzo, ball, matzo balls in 8 minutes. I could definitely do that. <laughs> and lest ye think, as I once thought, that competitive eating is taking a toll on Joey, either in body or in soul, you should know otherwise. Chestnut is quoted in saying in his inspirational joeychestnut.com website, I will not stop until I reach 70. This sport isn't about eating. It's about drive and dedication. And at the end of the day, hot dog eating challenges both my body and my mind. Wow. I, for one, can't wait until a modern-day Dylan Thomas pens a poem about the aged Joey Chestnut raging against the dying of his guts. <laughs> the wise man at their end turns, knows Tums is right because their words had forked no hot dogs they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men that last eat by, crying how bright their frail deeds may have danced on a Coney Island bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the gut. The number 66, of course, is also the number of players currently on Dan Duquette's big board for a designated hitter next season for your Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. Um, he's really narrowed down a lot from the 3,214 that he started the season with. So, Wait, can we, can we go back for just a second? Because we need to address the fact that you just you wrote a competitive eating version of a famous Dylan Thomas poem. Sure, sure. Brought it to its conclusion and then pivoted directly into your next <laughs> joke without even taking a breath. Because it's not that big a deal to you, Alan Smith. It's just not. <laughs> Language is but a toy <clears throat> in your capable hands. Speaking of big deals, um, <laughs> today, as we record this podcast on September the 10th, flags are at half-mast here in Hootenanny Studios mm. in solemn remembrance of the 1897 Latimer Massacre, wherein a sheriff's posse killed 19 unarmed immigrant miners in Pennsylvania. And I ask you, seriously now, is there anything shittier than being an immigrant coming all the way to America from Hungary, getting stuck in a mine shaft in Pennsylvania, and then when you stick up for things like fresh air and a place to sleep, getting shot by a bunch of people who don't like organized labor. I'm not going to say it's worse, but a close second is watching K-Rod pitch. <laughs> Very anxiety-inducing. Not it, It's not worse, but a close second. Well, Alan, we're, we're currently facing off against the Yankees, and uh, one of the things that I wanted to do for this episode is to record some, some in-game audio. Right. Specifically, I wanted to capture the cascade of booze right. pouring out of the grandstands at Oriole Park at Camden Yards when Alex Rodriguez came up to bat for the first time, but I encountered an obstacle in that, uh, and would you like to know what that obstacle was? Uh, that the yes announcers decided to remove all mic sounds from Camden Yards in preparation for A Rod's at bats. <laughs> they did actually do that. <laughs> they did pick the exact moment of A Rod coming up to be like, well, let's show you the uh, Orioles defense here and play our hinky little techno track that we do, and we do that. But also, even if they hadn't done that, I would not have been able to capture that chorus of booze 
because there were 17 people Aww. at game one of the series. And Aww. while there were a few more there tonight, there were not that many. And I really, really feel frustrated and upset about this uh, because I want there to be throngs of Orioles fans there supporting the team in the heat of a pennant race that is much more intense this year than it was last year. Right. Every single game lately has been an absolute nail-biter, and we need every single run that we can get. Where are the people? Where are the people? Now, this is particularly frustrating in light of a recent incident that took place, which perhaps you read about, which is that the National Football League, Mm. on the night that the Orioles played a home game, uh, during the Ravens opener, forcing, or not forcing, that's incorrect. We, it's been proved that that's factually incorrect. They didn't force them. Uh, but as a result of the fact that the Yankees were, or, sorry, the Orioles were playing at home, the Ravens opened on the road. And got shellacked. <laughs> yes. Now, the National Football League evidently called the Orioles to ask what the evening's attendance was. Now, in case you can't figure out for yourself why that is a dicky little <laughs> passive-aggressive move, I have some thoughts. <laughs> and my thoughts, Alan, are these. Um, one, I don't know if the folks who run the National Football League read the newspaper, but if they opened one, they might be able to find a few things. Right. First, the attendance figure. Right. Because that information is published and freely available. <laughs> There's no need to call Oriole Park at Camden Yards and ask how many people are there. To be fair, most people employed by the National Football League are former uh, (laughs) players in the National Football League, and many of them have had a few of the brain ticklies. (laughs) You have anticipated one of my later (laughs) points. Now, that that is one of the reasons that they might not have opened the newspaper. Um, The other would be that had they opened the newspaper they would have discovered what we all did right. the next morning, which is that Peyton Manning threw seven <laughs> touchdown passes against the Ravens, a fact that likely wouldn't have changed even if they'd been playing at home. <laughs> he was disgusting that evening. Now, the third point, which uh, flows from what you were saying, is that if they open the newspaper, they might read the steady stream of studies being reported, <laughs> which clearly show a correlation between football and depression and brain damage. Right, right. Maybe uh, they don't know that because they pressured ESPN. No, that's correct. They pressured ESPN into not running a story with PBS. They were doing a documentary with PBS, and yeah. the National Football League put the uh, ixnay on the Ori stay. Right, right, right. And now a lot of people, when that when that point gets invoked, like to say, like, well, baseball is a steroid scandal. Key difference. Major <laughs> League Baseball is trying to remove this harmful <laughs> element from the game, not fighting also, <laughs> to keep you, people from paying attention to it. If you'd like to invoke steroid scandals uh, and you are a supporter of the National Football League, you are an idiot <laughs> because <laughs> 98% of them use steroids. And the only reason no one cares is because the point of the Professional Football League is to watch fast people hit each other hard, yes. not to compare versus different decades and ho- storied pasts. Already this year, five members of the Seattle defense have had four-game suspensions for Adderall use. Right. (laughs) Right. As we have discussed on this program, but it's absolutely absurd. Now, it doesn't explain 
What, are you having a little, a little, a little bit of the repeats? <laughs> Alan and I had a very delicious pizza before recording this, this, this episode. And in case you hear some, some pauses that you could drive a truck through, it's because we're getting a little bit of the repeats, uh, which is a fun way of saying burps, by the way. Uh, which I didn't make up. I have to give credit where credit is due. That is from the very fine Too Beautiful to Live podcast. But uh, got some garlic and some spinach on there. There were supposed to be mushrooms, but those those didn't that make didn't the trip. Show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, wh- uh, wh- why aren't people showing up, Alan? What's the deal? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I think, at least in part, it's because um, what we well we're, we're gonna when we when we talk to Charlie later on, um, we're gonna, we're gonna sort of talk about. I hope talk about the uh, questions of of what makes it very sweet to win when you haven't won for a long time and i'm starting to think that perhaps the orioles fans have just already switched back into expecting winners and the fact that we are probably you know 10 percent chance of making the playoffs at this point things have to really break our right way people may have already written off this team so you think we have gone from being all-weather fans back to Fairweather fans in the space of a year. I think it's a very, it is very unlikely that this Orioles team makes the playoffs. A lot of things have to break the right way. You have to get not only the Tampa Bay to continue their, you know, circling of the drain, but you also have to get the Yankees and the Indians and the Rangers to all, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. So it's not impossible, but it's not like they have a clear path in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, do you think it is helping or hurting the team that they have forgotten how to hit with runners in scoring position? <laughs> that would imply they once knew how to do it, <laughs> which I think is patently false. Well, this is this is the next thing I wanted to talk about because something that I find very interesting about that is that uh, one of the most <sighs> frequent uh, overtures that Dan Duquette makes in interviews when he talks about his strategy for bringing in free agents or making trades on the offensive side, is that he says we want to get guys in with high on-base percentages. We want to get guys <laughs> in who know how to get on base. And he's been saying this now for two years, ever since he, he took the job. And yet, when you look at the starting lineup for tonight's game, we have one guy with an on-base percentage above 340, mm. and that's Chris Davis. Mm. Everyone else is sub 340. Hmm. Everyone else is a free swinger. Everybody else does not take pitches. You look at the Yankees game tonight, right? Ivan Nova, who we have a very difficult time against. We know that the Yankees bullpen is in absolute tatters, and yet we're up there swinging at everything Ivan Nova is throwing at us instead of saying to ourselves, we need to be patient, take some pitches, get this guy on the ropes, and get him out of the game so that we can get our cuts in against the ragtag nonsense brigade <laughs> of the Yankee bullpen. And we're not doing it. Well, I mean, I think at some point uh, I, we make fun of the DH slot a lot. And Lord knows we love the name of Henry Arudia. But oh, the Lord fact knows that we do. Stay tuned for some of that later on, by the way. That his on-base percentage is and continues to be his batting average. Right. Suggests that uh, we could do a, with a little something... Uh, a little something different yeah. in, in who we're rolling out there every day. As was pointed out on the broadcast tonight, over 50 plate appearances, zero walks. Uh, but then it, it brings up the question, who else are we going to run out there? 
We traded for Mike Morse. He's three for his first 29. No extra base hits. We uh, rehabilitate Wilson Betamete's knee to the tune of $4.6 million or whatever we're paying him this year. <laughs> He's 0 for his first nine and apparently said something salty to Buck because he hasn't even <laughs> sniffed the lineup. I mean, shit, I'll throw Danny Valencia out there. Whatever. He's hot right now. Valencia's hot, but, you know, you get Valencia out there against a right-handed pitcher, and he turns into Michael Morse. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. And, I, I mean, I guess the thing that, that's bugging me about this— I'm really—I'm I'm actually pining for Ryan Flaherty. <laughs> oh, did you see how close Ryan Flaherty came to a game-winning Grand Slam the other night? Yeah. Was... And then did you see how weakly he grounded out to end the game <laughs> immediately thereafter? Uh, the the, re- the reason I'm 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 feeling uh, agitated right about this is that uh, it it is now a refrain every year that uh, we talk about how the Orioles are so good at leaving the bases loaded. We talk about how the Orioles cannot ever execute with runners in scoring position, and to me, it really does all come back to this on base percentage issue. And until we get to the point where we can effectively recruit and attract players who are capable of doing that and then build an offense around it we're going to continue to have this exact same frustration and we're probably for the next few years at least content going to continue to have enough power to get by but we're not ever going to be able to score runs at the elite level that teams like the red Sox do mm. until we crack this code you know what also helps with uh runners in scoring position was that a stadium full of forty-five thousand people standing and clapping <sighs> you guys it's so simple. Alan and I have figured out the only two things that are holding us back from success here. And yet, the wrong choices continue to be made. Uh, lest, we, lest we come across as ungrateful for the success that the Orioles have had this year and right. had last year. Uh, lest, we, um, lest we as podcast hosts or we as Baltimore's nation. Or we as all-weather fans. Or we as all-weather fans. It's important to remember that as bad as it's been for Orioles fans... There's one team out there who it's been worse for. Yep. And that, of course, is the Pittsburgh Pirates, who until last night, last night, had not had a winning season in 20 years. And that has, of course, now changed. Uh huh. So, uh, with a 1 0 uh, win against Texas Rangers. Yep. Uh, uh, masterminded by their young ace. Uh,. Whose name believe. neither of us can remember. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. I had he had like um, he had like nine strikeouts. It was he had a really good game. Outpitched Darvish. Garrett uh, something. Garrett Cole. There See, it is. We got there together. Whew. Uh, Thanks for being on that journey with us. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got we've got Charlie Wilmeth, who we mentioned before, to talk to us a little bit about the experience of breaking the streak for Pirates fans. Baltimoreans, we are on the line with a guest from our first season. Would you call it our first season? Uh, sure. <laughs> it's, it's really all been one season of Baltimoreans rantings. Mr. Charlie Wilmoth, who writes for Bucks Dugout and MLB Trade Rumors, joining us once again on the line. How are you this evening, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So, 82. What does that mean? 
I'm trying to figure that out. You know, <laughs> that the pirates have have put all us, us fans in sort of an awkward emotional state by you know being so good this season that if they were to merely win 85 games, it would be a disappointment. So I think the pirates are their fans are really shooting for you know a, a, an NL Central division win at this point, and uh, that feels strange given that the pirates have. You know, this is the only time they've they've finished with with over 81 wins since 1992. Yeah, a, a very similar thing I think happened to us last year mm. as we passed this this like okay we're we're going to be above 500. It's statistically impossible for us not to be situation because we had been playing so well that expectations had gotten so much higher over the course of the season that it felt like like just a kind of little bump, not even that significant a a a, a, a marker. Yeah, it's it's funny how that happens. I mean, I feel like all of a sudden we've become acculturated to much better baseball or much more relevant baseball really quickly. And and I don't want to, you know, not be grateful for 82 wins or or not be grateful that I've seen so little of the Pirates-esque baseball that I'm used to seeing this season. It's it's really different, and 82 wins certainly is significant. And I I don't want to underplay that. But when when the Pirates recorded their final out yesterday. My reaction, honestly, was I, I just did a little fist pump, and I felt good for a few minutes, yep. and, I, and I just kind of went back to work, and that was that was all there was. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Who do we have to beat tomorrow to to get that division title? Exactly. Yeah. Is this just because humans don't remember pain? Why 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 would we so quickly have forgotten the significance of not being a losing team? I'm not I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> I think from. From my perspective, part of it is that when you when you lose for as long as the Pirates did or you lose for as long as the Orioles did, you establish a certain kind of distance from your team. And it doesn't mean you don't care or that you don't you don't root for them, but maybe you root for them in sort of complex ways or ironic ways where maybe you're rooting for a particular player over another player or you're rooting for the management to learn a lesson about the way they're running the team. So maybe <laughs> you're, you're rooting for things other than for the team to win because rooting for the team to win just feels so awful if you, if, right. if, if you let that sort of define you. Right. So maybe, maybe it, that, that kind of distanced or, or complex way of rooting for a team extends to when the team finally starts doing better and then all of a sudden you don't appreciate the wins in the way you might because you, you, you weren't really feeling the losses in the way you, you might have either. So if you don't mind me asking you to speculate a little bit, I'm, I'm really glad you brought, it, brought that up because I, I, I agree with you very much that uh, when your team is a losing team, you, you take on this kind of uh, safety distance from, from them. And I'm wondering if you think, and none of us are really qualified to speculate on this because we've oh, been I fans am. of losers for so long. <laughs> but do you think that for someone who's a fan of the Yankees or a fan of the Dodgers or a fan of the Red Sox or insert your dynasty here, um, do you think there is uh, the opposite effect? Do you think that they put themselves artificially close to the team in an attempt to use the team's success to maybe take some, the place of some absences of success in their own lives? Or do you think that's going too far? Well, I think it's, that's definitely possible in certain cases, and, I, and that kind of cuts to the core of, of why we root for sports teams in the first place. But I, I think, you know, we, we're, we're searching for identity. I mean, that, that's part of it. So if you're, you know, a fan of the Yankees, you, you are a fan of the team that wins. I mean, that, that comes to be part of what defines you, and I think that's important. But I think ultimately... I was talking to Eric Simons a couple months ago who recently wrote a book about the psychology of sports fandom. And he said that, that uh, you know, actually being a Yankees fan is not really all that fun. 
because <laughs> we, you know, other than, you know, because you have to be a Yankees fan. But, <laughs> right, 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 right. But, yeah. but because we calibrate our expectations to, to well, I mean, we, we cal- calibrate how, how good we're going to feel when a team wins or loses to our expectations that they're going to win or lose. So if we expect our teams to win all the time, we don't actually feel that good when they win. Uh, whereas if we root for the Pirates or the Orioles and then they suddenly do win, uh, it, it should feel amazing. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the process of figuring out whether that's true, but, but that's feels, what, what Simon says. This feels like uh, what I learned about what drugs do to your brain chemistry at some point, right? <laughs> like, you just become so saturated that you need more and more to get you high, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, so in a lot of respects, uh, you know, the 2012 season was Alan and I's marijuana, and uh, we've moved on to crack cocaine this year. And uh, so as for you, we hope you're enjoying the, the first tingle of that spliff. <laughs> Um, so, so one thing I'm interested in, uh, in connection with all this is as somebody who writes for Buck's dugout, um, and engages with pirates fans on the internet really regularly. Um, what are you, what are you seeing is as the dominant trend, uh, as the pirates make this push here? Um, are people, is, is there a a contingent of people who are saying, Hey guys, can we just stop for a second and recognize the fact that even if we lose every single game from here to the end of the season, (laughs) We have already achieved something generational, um, or is what I would think to be the case more uh, prominent, which is people saying, like, you know, winning seasons, it doesn't matter. Like, the, the team has a new set of expectations now, and anything less is going to be unsatisfactory. There's, there's definitely a little bit of both. I think there's certainly an effort on the part of a lot of Pirates fans to be grateful for, for what we've had this year, that, that, what we haven't, that we haven't had it in, in and you know so long that it, yeah generational is the right word it spans almost a generation if you were 45 years old when the pirates started losing you're 65 now or 66 now which is wow. just yeah I mean, it's just incredible to me i mean you know you you've i've had people tell me you know i've been married three times since the pirates <laughs> last <laughs> one so you know, it would be a huge mistake on pirates fans parts not to be grateful of that and i think a lot of people are sort of striving for that but also looking for something bigger. And the other thing that the Pirates were, fans were thinking as recently as a, a week or two ago was they were looking back to the 2011 and 2012 seasons when the Pirates started off promisingly uh, and then fell apart in August in both seasons and thinking that the, that was that that was inevitable, that the Pirates are going to do that again. So I, I think really the, a lot of fans were having a lot of trouble enjoying this season uh, up to this point. And, uh, and, and, you know, talking to them on, on any day after which the Pirates had a loss could be really, really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously that's going to change somehow now that the Pirates have finally secured a winning season. I'm just not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, from our perspective, and I don't, I don't know if, if, if Sam has seen this bear out among other Orioles fans, but I was really struck at the end of the Yankees series, which knocked us out of the playoffs last year which was in many ways excruciating um, and in many ways, you know, very far down the line of, 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 a, of a gut kick loss. I still had everyone on every Orioles blog I was reading and writing and seeing people just being incredibly thankful and incredibly in love with the team and saying this is my favorite Orioles team ever and just really into the team for what they had accomplished. And this year, I think people are already starting to feel like if they don't make the playoffs and probably make a pretty deep playoff push this year is a disappointment. So I think that that switch happens very quickly, and I'd be curious to see whether that happened. I mean, I think that similar futility streaks in in Baltimore and and Pittsburgh, so I'd be curious to see whether you guys have that same experience or whether people can enjoy the process of being good 
for a little bit more than maybe 60 games before they start to expect it. I think what what is 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 true that I, in my experience of talking to fans from of different you know sort of uh, sad sack teams over the course of the last year is is that these feelings when when your team finally wins these feelings are surprisingly short lived <laughs> and and that, it's disappointing that it's like that but that's that's the way it seems to be and and I, I think I, maybe I'll write write something about that sometime soon how how we should try to hold on to these these moments this this month that we're about to have where the Pirates are a winning team because you, you don't know if, if the Pirates are going to win next year you'll feel completely different and and feel more entitled or if the Pirates lose and it'll just go back to business as usual you know I'm not sure I I'd, I'd like to hope that this will linger beyond this year <laughs> yeah enjoy that first high yeah <laughs> right. Well, uh, we should let folks know that the reason that Charlie has his finger so closely on the pulse of what Pirates fans have been saying about these last 20 years is that he's writing a book about it. Uh, and if you would like to stay in the loop about when that's going to be coming out, you should follow him at Bucks Dugout on Twitter. And also, of course, keep an eye out for his byline at MLB Trade Rumors and also, of course, at the Bucks Dugout blog. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and uh, good luck getting number 83. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks and for having me. And congratulations. I think that's a fair thing to say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Baltimore On, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. My name is Sam Dingman. And we are joined now by our second Charlie of the evening, Charlie Hoppus, who I think we can all agree, I believe this is right, Charlie, is the best-looking and most intelligent part of the Orioles Spastics team. that fair? Well, we all, as, as all of us do, I think, on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, have a face made for radio. <laughs> I am most certainly the most single of the Orioles Spastics. In fact, I might be the only single person in Baltimore Sports Report Network. (laughs) Wow, that would be an interesting... uh... So, ladies. (laughs) We don't don't have any female listeners. I I don't know if we have any listeners. We haven't put out an episode in a long time. Uh, It's funny you should mention Orioles Spastics episodes, uh, because we have brought (laughs) you here this evening to talk about uh, a recent Orioles Spastic episode, one of my favorites, uh, which actually had nothing to do with either the Orioles or necessarily Arrested Development, although there was a pretty solid Arrested Development tie-in. They the, rarely do. The, van- <laughs> <laughs> the Vaniversary episode, in which uh, the Orioles Spastics recounted a uh, delightful beach trip, which in- ended in a, uh, was it a 15-passenger van being totally submerged? Yeah, we sank a 15-passenger uh, van to the depths of the Chesapeake Bay. Always a good day when you can pull that off. <laughs> we we had a surprising amount of positive response to that episode. My favorite part, definitely, Charlie, just to say really quick, was the part where you uh, came back from uh, using the, the Bush's restroom. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. And then walked around with a concerned look on your face on your cell phone. <laughs> and everybody said, who are you talking to? And uh, you said something about uh, Davy Jones and uh, how he was prepared to welcome the van into his locker or some such thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't get a lot of opportunities to use the Davy Jones jokes, so you have to really pounce on it when you can. Between that anecdote and uh, the the time that you guys came on our show and uh, you talked about um, being worried that if an, an you were ever around for an accident, you would shout for an ambulance. 
<laughs> I have come to the conclusion that you would be the first person I would want around in a time of crisis. <laughs> I, I I turned. So here's here's something. This is free. Um, I was <laughs> I was I was once involved in a, a pretty terrible car accident in which a uh, a person was walking across an interstate in the middle of a, a rainstorm in New Jersey wearing all dark. Oh, God. Oh, no. Right. So I swerved at the last second, and uh, upon losing control of uh, the car and sort of spinning out at about 65 miles an hour, the passengers of the car heard me to say, oh, well, and fold my hands and set them in my lap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> cool under we... pressure. Or at least accepting <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> It's it's upsetting that I didn't think of the Jesus take the wheel joke right. that was just right there, but it's tough when, you know, again, you're spinning. <laughs> I think you did very well under the circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Everyone everyone was okay. The car was totaled. Guy didn't get hit, so it's okay to it's okay to we, laugh. We can laugh now. Speaking of <laughs> laughing now. I'm just I'm, I'm all segues this you evening, guys. You are a segue machine. The anniversary episode uh made me think of a a similar um title that I, uh, I, I have attended a couple of the anniversary celebrations of my good friend and co-worker who will call for the sake of the, uh, his own anonymity, Tim Price. Um, that's actually his name, Tim Price. <laughs> Tim and I work together, uh, and Tim celebrates every year on February 20th the uh, anniversary um, of February t- 20th, 2008. And I'm going to... Uh, I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to compare... Go listen to this Oriole Spastics episode. In fact, just pause this podcast right now. Go listen to the Oriole Spastic episode and then come back. We'll wait. And we'll do a direct comparison. We'll wait. We'll stay right here. Do-do-do. And welcome back. Great. <laughs> Tim Price, everyone. My story begins in the morning of February 20th, 2008. It was the day after the so-called Potomac, Pri- Potomac primary, which was supposed to set the stage for Barack Obama's decisive victory over Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania and Ohio, and ultimately the contest for the Democratic presidential nomination. I remember that for two reasons. The fact is that I'm a huge nerd and uh, was watching CNN coverage uh, of the primary results over breakfast. The second is that for both the Obama campaign and my life, it was a moment of high spirits and apparently smooth sailing that quickly gave way to untold pain and suffering. (laughs) The only way this could be a more perfect metaphor is as if Jeremiah Wright had said, God damn America and P.S. I do not respect pedestrians right of way. (laughs) But I digress. On that cool, clear morning, I was on my way to class at Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus. Because I don't have a car and because I live in Staten Island, which has not reached the level of civilization or technological advancement required to have its own subway system, that meant walking from my house to the bus stop six blocks away, which included crossing a poorly marked service road as well as an expressway on-ramp. As I approached the service road crosswalk, the sign said, don't walk. So I stopped and waited at the corner. At the same time, an Accessoride van was approaching the intersection from the opposite direction. Accessoride is a New York City service that provides transportation to people with physical disabilities. It's administrated by the MTA, contracted out to private carriers, not all of whom are well-versed in the art of driving a large van without killing anyone. (laughs) By the time the Accessoride reached the intersection, it had a red light, and I had the walk sign. Only one of us obeyed the traffic signals we were given, and it wasn't the Accessoride driver. As I stepped into the crosswalk, the Accessoride powered around the corner, and I knew I wouldn't have enough time to get out of the way. So I started waving my arms to get the driver to stop. He did not. 
The next thing I experienced was a gray blur and a loud grinding noise. When it stopped, I was lying on my stomach in the road, pinned beneath the van with my head facing toward the curb. I carefully moved all my limbs to make sure they were still attached and functioning. Left arm, check. Right arm, check. But painful. Left leg, check. Right leg, hmm. I could move it, but it felt numb and wet. I filed that under stuff to worry about later and started shouting for help. So, um, Tim went on to uh, make a full recovery from this Vaniversary event. And uh, every February 20th celebrates a Vaniversary marking the day that that he survived a close encounter with the world's most aggressive handicapped transportation marketing campaign. Uh, And that usually involves copious drinking, which I think dovetails nicely with the Orioles Spastic episode. And a cake in which I drew, in which he draws something related to his accident, ranging from a picture of the van with my legs sticking out from under the wheel, to a squeaky, a streaky green arrow made with sprinkles. The streaky green arrow is, of course, a reference to the uh, what the accessoride captain claimed to have seen instead of the red light which he ran through. <laughs> <laughs> so there's my comparative uh, vaniversary. That is a. Uh... That is deeply upsetting, but <laughs> you know, I think that that's the appropriate way to respond to <laughs> to such a tragedy. Cake, cake, and uh, as much as possible, Tim keeps a uh, uh, a positive sense of humor about being dragged for thirty yards underneath a van. <laughs> oh my gosh! So now, I, I think the real question here, Charlie, is: Had you been there on the scene um, and had an opportunity to <laughs> saunter out of the bushes? Uh, survey what was happening and then put your phone to your ear and pretend to be calling someone serious but actually be making a (laughs) joke phone call, who would it have been and why? (laughs) I I almost certainly would have called Miss Frizzle because she has some great experiences with buses. And also, she seems to really capitalize on people in her classes suffering in order to take field trips with said buses. Right, right. There... Looking at Tim's list of extensive injuries, uh, there was a lot a medical team could have learned from putting him back together. Oh, yeah. The frizz would have been all over that. (laughs) That would have been the best traveled handicap bus ever. (laughs) The magic MTA accessor ride school bus. (laughs) Well, I think we have a solid theme for next year's anniversary cake. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, in the in the lead up this year, I'll see if I can get a uh, a Miss Frizz shaped cake. She'd be wearing some sort of grim earrings too, that sort of <laughs> like indicated... Day of the Dead, like right. Day of the Dead, uh, like a uh... severed arm and a severed leg or something. <laughs> right, It'd just be a bus and then just a, a bloody stump of a leg, probably. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. Hoppus. I, th- I think um, I think your your uh, your response is. I think we'll accept it. Will we accept it, Alan? I think we'll accept it. We'll accept it. Uh, we'll let you know whether Tim accepts it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I do think actually, you know, uh, so, some people are going to say that this segment uh, didn't have a whole lot to do with baseball. Uh, and some people are going to say that we had you on, but we didn't talk about Arrested Development, except Alan made all those really good segues. So <laughs> I think it did. I think that that's... We, we, we actually got Darren O'Day to respond via a Masson interview about 
his solo wheel by making a Job Segway reference. <laughs> you were, it's one of our greatest accomplishments as Oriole Spastics. Might be time to retire, actually. Yeah, I was going to say. We, we haven't like... put out an episode in a while. We might be retired <laughs> already. Well, uh, you, you, you probably need some time off because you're going to be fielding all those incoming uh, date requests. Right, uh, that stem from your appearance on our program, which you're I've, welcome for. I've heard by the tell. Way. I've heard tell of the uh, the bump, the Twitter bump. <laughs> we have uh, we have the Orioles' fame rocket ship. The sex rocket ship uh, has been in the shop until recently, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll give it a whirl anyway. It's more of a sex accessoride van. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. That's probably about enough. <laughs> you you actually rendered me speechless, which is difficult to accomplish. Well, thank you, uh, thank you for for going through that live with us, Charlie, and uh, thank you for Tim for for sending that story in in response to the original anniversary. And of course, it goes without saying. Everybody, get right on over to oriolespastics.com or. BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network to check out the Oriole Spastics and all of our other sister wife podcasts. Thank you very much to Charlie from Oriole Spastics and thank you to all of you, ladies and gentlemen, as always, for tuning into the show. That is it for the week. We have nothing else to tell you. (laughs) Nothing at all. Not a damn thing. Nope. We have used up the bounty of our fertile minds. Um, So anyway... Uh, we'd, we'd love for you to, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoy the show, find us on iTunes and leave us a review. Yeah. It takes you but 30 seconds, uh, and, well, the good feelings last a lifetime. <laughs> but, for, uh, for everybody involved. It is also one of those small, weird internet things that actually helps shows like ours grow and find new listeners, which we'd like to think you would like to help us do, so... Please hook us up if you can find the time to do it. And you can get at us at bemorons.com or at baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com. Yes, indeed you can. And as always, of course, don't forget to check out our sister wife podcast on the Baltimore Sports Support Network, baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. The music on the show, ladies and gentlemen, as always, our theme song by Marshall York. And the interstitial music Birdland by Weather Report. Hey, Sam. Yes, sir. What do you call Henry Arudia when he's singing the first track off Phil Collins' 1985 album, No Jacket Required? Um, I don't know. How about Henry... Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I think that's our first solid audio pun I, I think on the program. The first one, I can guarantee it won't be the last. Uh, hat tip to uh, listener Eric. Yeah, we shouldn't call it our our audio pun. Bringing to our attention the uh, amazingness that we were missing out on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as always, if you have a Yerudia pun that you think can top this one, which pro- it, I don't think you can. Um, <laughs> send it to us Baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com Until next week ladies and gentlemen Phil Collins is going to take you the rest of the way Goodbye home run Baltimoreons is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com <laughs>